response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce, and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. But how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Leading the way to a world beyond waste, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the Chartered Institution of Wastes Management. And here's our host, Mark Shaler. Hello, and welcome to Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste, the CIWM and Content with Purpose podcast series. In it, we explore the resources and the waste sector's role in the transition to a low carbon, resource efficient and circular economy, arguably a fairer and better economy too. I'm Mark Shaler, and I've had over 30 years experience in helping companies and organizations to understand what sustainability means to them, helping them develop strategies that truly embrace the transformative opportunities that come from our transition to net zero, and ultimately our transition to a more regenerative economy. With this podcast series and through the people that we'll meet, I want to know what changes are coming to the waste management sector as a result of our transition to a low carbon economy and what all that means to those people that are actively engaged in the resource efficiency sector. To help answer these questions, I'm joined by Dan Cook, who is the incoming president of the Chartered Institute of Waste Management. And last year, CIWM released a strategy document entitled Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste and a suite of other online resources. This sets out the vision for the sector in the context of the circular economy. It's also the name of this podcast series. Hello, Dan. Morning, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very well. Dan, what do we mean by leading the way to a world beyond waste? How are you going to help us get there? So to me, leading the way to a world beyond waste means continuing and hopefully accelerating the progress towards greater resource efficiency and a circular economy that the sector as a whole has made over the last 20 years plus. That will be and is being achieved by a combination of the sector's continued delivery of more progressive, innovative recycling and waste management services. So upping our game in terms of recycling, doing better things with the things that people throw away, and the implementation and enforcement of effective and innovative policy and regulation. So we've currently got a a package of combined measures that the government is with the sector implementing, and we need to do more of that. We need to see that come in. We need to see more of it to continue the progress that's been made. It's interesting. You you use the word, the the things that people throw away. And for all intents and purposes, you know, it's increasingly expensive to put things in a hole in the ground. And, and consequently, the easy options for away have gone away. And, and as president of CIWM, what, what is your role and what are you going to do? So in terms of away going away, yes, we've made huge steps. So there has been a massive step change in moving away from the reliance that the UK had on landfill 20 years ago or so. And government used a very... Uh, effective economic lever, the landfill tax, to make that happen. To make a way go away if we're looking at uh, energy from waste and the next step to encourage less stuff to go into energy from waste, 
Um, government needs to look very carefully at what measures can happen to do that. And arguably, it's the plastics that go into energy from waste that we need to get out of that particular treatment stream. We need to recycle more plastics because plastics going into an energy from waste plant is effectively burning fossil fuel. So how can we stop that? And there are a series of policy measures, including the um, forthcoming emissions trading scheme applying to energy from waste, that can make that happen. Those are big picture policy asks and the sector working with the regulators, working with the policymakers to work out that next step is a massive part of what we need to see happen. Your other question in terms of what can CIWM do to continue and work to encourage this shift to a world beyond waste, it's got its own strategy in place. So CIWM is a relatively small or modestly sized membership organisation representing the professionals and the innovators within the sector. The CIWM has its own strategy with six clear pillars of the work it wants to do, including advocacy, including innovation, including training and standards um, and other stuff. And it's about systematically implementing that and working with our members who are the top professionals across the recycling and resource management strategy to carry on the innovation, to carry on the service progression. There's a whole range of things that we can do to make uh, continue this transformation of our sector, working with society to do better things with materials. That's wonderful. And that, that those six pillars make enormous sense to me. And do you think the sector is truly and fully appreciated as a, a, a change agent, as an accelerant, as a, as a mechanism for helping us move towards circularity and sustainability? Is it truly appreciated? The, the, the simple answer is no. How much of that is our fault as a sector? Um, there's a good discussion to be had there. We traditionally have uh, been this combination of working quietly beyond the scenes. We, we often talk about the bin fairies in, in our sector where people put out their waste in whether it's boxes or bins and it magically disappears and nobody really asks too many questions traditionally about what happens to it. Well, increasingly, people are becoming engaged, do want to know where their recycling goes and how it's recycled and how it's done in a professional and ethical way. So that's great. We're getting better engagement. We're getting better engagement with businesses, the businesses that this sector serves so well. Again, advising on waste prevention, advising on resource efficiency, collecting and recycling the materials that business does. So that engagement has been a relatively new thing to the levels we're seeing today, and it's brilliant, and we need to see more of it. But the sector itself hides under a bushel as well. So I've just put out the presidential report on this is what we do, looking at showcasing the services the sector provides and, and highlighting circular economy pathfinders, but finding those examples of best practice and getting our, our sector members and companies operating in the sector to sing it from the rooftops hasn't been that easy. So we need to get better at engagement in communicating and in communicating the inspiring stuff that professionals in this sector deliver day in, day out as well. Amen. No, I hear that completely. Leading the way to a world beyond waste. This episode is sponsored by Orgian, Suez Recycling and Recovery UK and Indava. Orgian specialises in managing hard-to-handle wastes with UK waste treatment and disposal infrastructure focusing on delivering best environmental outcomes. Suez Recycling and Recovery UK 
is a leading provider of environmental services pioneering sustainable solutions and innovative technologies for the UK's circular economy. Indava offers high-quality, sustainable and cost-efficient total waste management solutions to large-scale industry and public authorities. You can learn more about their work on our digital series website, worldbeyondwaste.ciwm.co.uk. Leading the way to a world beyond waste. I want to introduce Adam now. I've known Adam for 20 years, Adam, something like that. And Adam Reed has been ever-present in this world and has watched it changed from something that deals with a problem into something that creates an opportunity. Um, but as someone who wears two hats, one from the commercial sector and one as former president of CIWM, how do we ensure that the sector comes along with Dan's and CIWM's ambitious vision? Hi, Mark. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to see you. And uh, is it 20 years? It might be 25. I don't know. I mean, it just flies by when you're having fun. And we're still talking about making some of this stuff norm. So, you know, let's let's continue to try and make some of this transition a little bit more accessible for, for my mum or your next door neighbour, um, because that's how we, we really get that, that transformation. Um, I'd like to say, first and foremost, Dan's report, absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, it's showcasing exactly where some of the best practice in our sector is right now. And, and it's come a long way in my lifetime, certainly that, that 25 years. I mean, the movement out of landfill, you know, the, the energy recovery, the heat offtake, the quality of the recycling, you know, pushing the boundaries on, on, on better design. I think we're influencing much more of the supply chain than we've ever done before as an industry, as a sector. And that, that bodes well for, for where we go in the future. Is it Dan's ambitions? I mean, it, it is in terms of a document, but the reality is it's, it, it's many of us in the sector's ambitions. And I think that's really important that there's a, there's a collegiate collaborative view of, of where we need to go. Uh, and I think that, that gets me to, to the answer to your question, Mark, which is we get there together. Um, there isn't one organisation, there's no one subsector in our, in our space that can make this transition, this transformation a reality. We, we need to understand upstream and downstream implications. We need to understand, you know, what other people in the value chain value and want and, and are looking to do. And then we can respond and, and link. I think, you know, we're a logistics business. We, we handle stuff. And if we can handle stuff better and get it from the right place to the next right place in the least cost and least time, then then we're on the right journey. But to do that, we need common vision. And I think CRWM, its strategy, uh, you know, Dan's report and, and some of the work that's ongoing with, with, with other key organisations in in this space right now is, is critical for, you know, a world beyond waste, you know, a carbon zero, a decarbonized, a, a circular society. There's lots of visions out there at the moment. I think they've got a lot in common, which is important. Um, but I think we've got to get the job of communicating, which is something that Dan, I and you, Mark, have done a lot of over the last 20 odd years. How do we get that vision into every small business? How do we get that vision into every local authority? And then how do we get it into every household? Because only then will we start to see that change is, is not only inevitable, but it's a good thing. It, it's something that we should be embracing um, and we should see the opportunities of, you know, the value of the materials, the value of the service rather than, you know, the, the products, if you like. And, and the fact that low carbon systems can be good for the economy, good for the environment uh, and good for society at large. So I think, you know, CIWM is, is, is sitting right at the heart of, you know, it's the nexus of change right now. And I think it's fascinating watching an institution that's going from, you know, end of pipe as the sector's been end of pipe for so long, to one that's all about advice, 
support, collaborative uh, engagement and, and changing the way that we, we see some of these systems operate. And, you know, I think it's exciting times to be in a sector that for a long time was kind of end of pipe, dirty hands. And now it's suddenly oh, exciting and, and all about the opportunities that, that we can see. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to where next. I see that. It's really interesting. You, you made me think about the parallels with the logistics industry. For a long time, the, the logistics industry was kind of in, invisible, just took stuff from there to there. Now it's essential. You know, it, it keeps us alive. It keeps food on the shelves as we move towards a, a much more, a much shorter and compressed uh, supply chain. Logistics is king and queen. And, and similarly, in terms of resources, you know, if you want to make things, if you want to put stuff into, in, into the economy, you need materials to make it from. And if there's a lock jam or if there's a hole in the ground that is hiding those materials, it becomes utterly foolish. I'm really interested in, in kind of how CIWM, or, and you've had a vision of this, how ingrained or how able to affect policy is CIWM when it, when it comes to interaction with government? I, th- I think this is a journey that we're on. We've been quite responsive historically as CIWM. I think we've, you know, we've seen the policy landscape. We've seen the consultations. We've done a great job of talking to our huge membership, you know, 6,000 members from all parts of the of society and the sector and beyond and getting a, a view of, you know, what's good and what's not and, and where we think change should happen. I think the last couple of years, though, as part of our strategy, Dan's alluded to this, you know, we've taken the front foot. We've gone, we can see where the issues are. We can see where the sector's going. We can see what the transition needs to be. We're going to actually take some of that messaging to government and not only to historically, you know, DEFRA as the environmental protection part of government, but also to Desnes, Bays as was, to Treasury, um, to Department for Education and going, this transition's bigger than just looking at the environment. You have to look at it in terms of, you know, greater societal change. And that means you need to think about education, you need to think about taxation, and you need to think about business and industry. And, and I think the last couple of years we've started to create a much stronger narrative about not only why is our sector valuable in the transition of the transport sector or the power sector or the agricultural sector, but also just more more powerful in terms of we've got a vision of how that transition might happen and, and where the levers have to be and, and, and what, what policies might have the right intervention. So I think we're taking a more progressive stance on on some of those issues. And I think government are listening, although government at the moment are finding it difficult to listen to, to anybody other than the populist vote, unfortunately. I see the resources and waste sector as an accelerant of opportunity rather than something that, that deals with, with problems. And this leads me into the next, the next sort of suite of questions that I've got, which are all around the hot topics that we have at the moment. That are these pertinent issues that, that kind of keep popping up in, in, in our sector. And I'm, I'm really interested in what your opinions are on some of these issues. I'm going to come to you first, Dan. Um, can you illustrate, um, with, with any specific examples, the conversations around the hot topics that you face at the moment? Just stepping back to, to what's been, just been discussed, one of the hot topics at the moment is, without a doubt, the need for clarity of voice and effective communications to back up the call for clear policies, which will enable investment, enable progress um, towards the destination of a more circular economy that we're all heading towards. There is no doubt the sector trends and especially the stuff we've just talked about. So the more this sector takes on new technologies, innovation, service progress, better ways of doing things, 
you bring in new voices into the sector over the last couple of decades and over the last five to 10 years, especially, and they've all got interest. So our voice may have fragmented and that's to the detriment of the sector when you're trying to get clear policies implemented. But there's been lots of good work through CIWM, through other trade bodies like the Environmental Services Association to bring that background and speak with clarity to government, speak with clarity to other sectors about what we can do, what we can do for them. And again, it's worth, we can't underestimate the the challenge in nature of some of the challenges we're making. You mentioned the comparison with the logistics sector. Some of the stuff we're talking about, it's similar to the energy sector and the need for more greater renewables versus the fossil fuels on which we've relied on and the grid on which we've relied for decades and decades. It's similar to electric vehicles versus fossil fuel drive driven transport. We're calling for that same level of change and we are we are actually challenging some very embedded behaviours, not only at individual and consumer level, but also at corporate level. Um, so that dialogue, that collaboration, that engagement with other sectors, with the retail sector, with the packaging sector, with with all of those people, that takes a lot of effort. And the clarity of voice and the strength of our voice and the strength of our business case to make those changes is without a doubt one of the hot topics of our day. The other one is the seven bin nonsense that's um, been part of the dialogue over the last couple of months. Examples of people that have got seven bins are few and far between. Most people, and most people have three or four, they're more than happy with that. And a little bit of scaremongering and mischief making has blown seven bins out of all proportion. And you can only really have seven bins if you pay for at least three optional ones. So it's down to consumer choice. But whether it's consistent collections or simpler recycling, and if that's what we want to label it as, then Let's have it. Let's keep going for it because they are absolutely vital having consistent collections that people understand, making it easier for the punters to put the right stuff in the right bin and to engage more and think about more uh, increase in their recycling levels. That's the essential part of of the uh, packaging regulations, the EPR, the combined packaging reforms that are currently in play and are absolutely vital and the hot topic because... The resources and waste strategy for England and its comparable strategies in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, that is the hot topic. How do we implement effective policies that work with the sector to deliver new ways of doing things and greater resource efficiency? There was a fantastically well thought out series of measures, extended producer responsibility, simpler recycling, plastics packaging tax and deposit scheme, which can come after all the others because that's Uh, a little bit less important. But let's implement those in a systematic way because that is the hot topic as to the next step change that this sector will deliver. Brilliantly said. And um, I've got a follow-on question for both of those, but I'll hold it for now. Um, And it leads us straight into a question I've got for Adam, actually, in in terms of the hot topics that you see. And moving into these policy reforms, Adam, what are the issues and what are the opportunities? Policy reforms over the last five or six years now it's 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 been drifting and yet you know the the intention was great and the expectation was high you know if we can get polluter pays to really work which is what epr is all about if we can get the right level of funding into the system to enable the transition to simpler recycling i don't mind what it's called let's just make it happen um you know we can start to change the, the packaging types that are on the market we can make it easier for my mum to put the right thing in the right bin on the right day of the right week 
great. I've got no issues with that. But there's 10 billion pounds worth of investment coming from the private sector. There's your opportunity, Mark. But we won't invest because we still haven't got clarity about what year does the trigger happen? What year does the transition start? How long do we have? Is it five, seven, 10, 12? Is it two years to transition? It's still a little unsided. And, and, and that, that is the concern that all the time that we're kind of, you know, drifting, you know, with another, uh, you know, an, another challenge, another letter from another trade body, you know, another headline in a newspaper, it's just making it harder and harder to get investment into a sector that needs investment. So, you know, that's my, my big opportunity, but it's also my big risk. It's really interesting, that is. And uh, I think I mean, often those things sit on the opposite sides of the same coin. Investment risk creates massive potential for growth. There's no, there's no two ways about that. But to do that, Adam, we're going to need a shift towards more circular business models. I've worked long and hard in this sector the last 15 years, helping companies develop new business models. Some really successfully, some have been a complete pain in the neck to the business because it's changed the way they run do you think circular business models are the next step in terms of the corporate world? I think they're one of the next steps. I, I think there are circular business models that can happen sooner rather than later. Um, I, I think some of the servitization, um, some of the refillables, some of the repairables, some of the reusables kind of agendas, I think they work for some businesses and would be consumer friendly, which I think is also important that they can see that change is happening. I think some of the other changes may take a little bit longer, but we need to build the momentum around elements of resource efficiency, um, substitution of, of the right materials. And, and, I, and, and what I do worry about is all the time there's a little uncertainty. It's easy for a business of any size or shape to go, well, we'll just put that off to next year then because there isn't an imperative today. And unless you've got lots of customers saying, we want your change now and we're going to pay for it, you can see why there's been a bit of hiatus around, you know, some of the innovation that we were perhaps expecting two or three years ago across the corporate portfolio. Um, I mean, we've been investing heavily in reuse and repair as a business, which many would say, why is a waste company like Suez doing that? It's at the top of the hierarchy. You, you make money by, by handling rubbish. You, you know, you, you burn stuff. Well, the reality is we see the future as being much more circular. We see the future as being much more logistics. So why wouldn't we want to embed ourselves in testing and trialing what the future might or might not look like. And I think there are plenty of other businesses out there doing it with clothing or doing it with packaging. And what we need to do is is showcase, coming back to Dan's early point, let's give them a platform to share what great practice is out there and how it can be good for the economy, society uh, and the environment at large. And then then that will build momentum that will be uh, you know, unstoppable whether government like it or not. I love that. And, and that whole idea of the carrot rather than stick. If we failed at all, you and I, Adam, over the last 25 years, um, it's that we haven't made a, a world beyond waste, a, a world beyond carbon and, and, and a world beyond resource constraints more appealing. You know, it's a better world to live in. And, and I think by stressing the problems as our sector has done, rather than the opportunities, we've actually missed a trick here. Do you think the economic instruments that could be attached to uh, behavior change within our sector, do you think that's going to, you know, carbon pricing and taxing, do you think that's going to accelerate the, 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 this, this transition or, or do you think it's going to put more people against it? I think there's a worry that carbon taxation is just, you know, it's a scary thing that, you know, you're going to inhibit people's ability to, to, to make free choice. And, and yet the reality is we're used to living in a world with taxation, aren't we? So if suddenly items in the supermarket had a tax that was a result of 
costing the impact of either the product, the packaging or the system that got that on the shelf or the system required to get it back on the shelf after it's been used. I think most people would understand and, and I think they would adapt. And I'm quite a fan of carbon taxation generally, because I think if you really want to make reuse and repair work, you would really want to give them an, an, you know, an impetus. You look at the carbon savings of putting stuff around and you go, there you go. You've saved yourself, you know, 50 pound a tonne for every tonne of carbon. Well, suddenly you can start to add that up by thousands of tonnes of, of, of material handled. I think you need things like carbon taxation to make it real in everybody's world. The problem is at the moment, that's never going to be politically, you know, a, a, a favourable campaign when you're when you're looking at a re-election. So I, I think it's coming, but it might not be before the next election. The policymakers are so closely associated with short-term election and re-election cycles, either on a national or a local level. Well, the question for both of you, but I'll go with Dan first. How do we begin to see more long-term in a sector with short-term cycles in it? There's the million-dollar question. How, how do we properly cost in the whole life um, costs of products, of nature-based services, natural capital, call it what you will. And I think the wake-up call is coming. The impacts of climate change that we're seeing, the realisation that we're not going to hit even the most basic of targets, and how do we adapt to that, and how do we adapt from a policy and governmental uh, point of view as well as a business point of view, is going to be fascinating and play out. And there's some, I mean, we get into deep philosophy here. How do, how do we, what's the role between the individual and, and policymakers? If we want change at scale, then you've got to lead with the policy. You've got to lead with effective policy, which enables businesses to implement and deliver those changes, um, as well as engaging individuals to see the change. But at the moment, human nature and the aspirations of a Western capitalist or post-capitalist society are all about still, in the main, owning more stuff and we see aspirations to own more stuff get bigger and better as still the norm and Adam's point earlier about how do we mainstream the circular economy how do we mainstream waste prevention and make that the norm and as aspirational so servitization you know by experiences not stuff all of those things have a role to play and you will see that you know, awakening that that realization and awareness get more important over the coming decade or two. Um, but it's a real challenge taking on those embedded behaviours that I talked about, massive. Circular economy pathfinders, the new government, the government's new and forthcoming waste prevention um, strategy and beginning to realise that there's money to be made in doing things more efficiently, making greater use and getting better resource security. All those things will add up to um, progress in the right direction. But this is no small, we are getting into deeply philosophical points and long-term policy view needs and the vision that's needed within a five-year political cycle. It's always been the issue. We've had a particularly chaotic government the last few years. We all recognise that. The current government recognise it and try to put a stable vision together. And the electorate will have a choice at the next election as to whose vision they believe and how that affects our sector. So, you know, it's all about choices. But politicians, the brave ones, have clear and long-term visions and that's how they can win elections and that's how they can implement policy. Thank you. And the same question to you, Adam. You're probably closer to one part of policymaking than Dan is. And, and I guess that's the kind of maybe more influential 
side of policymaking. How do you see this panning out? You mean I get to nudge civil servants and politicians for a, for a, for a job? You mean yes? <laughs> I, I'd use I'd use the word poke, but yes, nudge is fine. I get frustrated. Because I think, oh, I've, that's another MP that I've talked to this week and I'm still not sure they get the basics, but, but, but bear with me. But actually, there is a lot of common understanding across all the main parties, and that includes the devolved administrations who, who perhaps are feeling a lot stronger about things like the circular economy. Take, take Scotland and Wales, for example, who've pushed further. And I get it, they all want to win an election and none of them want to be seen to be unpopular with the public and therefore they have to be careful about what they do or don't say. But actually, there's a lot of common agreement that you've got to go beyond recycling. So, you know, the set of reforms we've been talking about are all about getting recycling up to an acceptable world, you know, leading, you know, position. But but there's still this, the braver step, which is to say, well, consumption's still wrong um, and it's going to cause us a problem 20, 30 years from now if we haven't solved it. So we've got a, a window of opportunity. And I think actually when you get them off of their platform, and behind the scenes, and you're talking about policy reforms, I think Labour and Conservative all recognise that there is work to be done and, and, and there is a very different future. But a five-year transition period is, is not long enough for the kind of significant change that you need, we need, we've, we've all talked about today. And I guess the only way that you can get there is by having a very, very compelling narrative. And I, and I guess, you know, you think none of us were there, but post, post-war, Second World War, the push around growth, which is what led to this consumer society, was driven by a number of major uh, governments around the world to build economies. And so they all it didn't matter which politician, political party you were in or not. They were all about driving growth all around the world. Well, at the moment, you've got very different messages around the world about what's important and what's not. And I think if we can get a common view globally, but amongst the big economies in particular, that actually circular economy positive nature kind of interventions, the waste prevention, reduced consumption future where things go around and you enjoy the experience rather than owning the, the, the end point are actually the desirable, then I think you'll be able to see so many more examples coming to the fore that we can go, I want to buy one of them, I want to do one of that, I'm going to live that life. Because that's the compelling thing is when, when the mass public will go, I want some of that, not owning it, but being part of it then I think it's hard for politicians not to support it. So I think we've we've got to go back to the point that Dan raised. It's about a common vision and a strong narrative that's got some evidence that is positive in the, in the direction, not negative. And one of the things that I found in engaging with government and, and the opposition recently is when I talk green jobs, when I talk employment, you know, our sector's looking at 130 to 140,000 core staff today by 2035, that could be 500,000. We're talking a massive expansion because you're localizing, because you're embedding, because you're handling different materials in different ways. You're repairing, you're reusing, etc. That is what's getting politicians interested. I get more conversations now about green jobs than I ever did about circularity or resource efficiency. So maybe we've got to find the right, um, you know, the right conversation and then bring circularity behind that. I love that. I'm going to come to Dan in a minute because he had a fine, yeah. Yeah, just a quick point without getting too competitive with Adam. I was doing a very similar job for 20 years before um, before COVID and a slight change. But the important point there is the voice of CIWM and my current employer's local authorities and the importance of their part in the supply chain and the uh, service delivery chain and all this has government here as much as the private sector does. Yes, we need investment, but that investment comes from a combination of the public sector and the private sector. That's how we've made progress over the last 20 years. And if you look at some of the small examples, Adam earlier mentioned some of the reuse 
hubs um, that we've showcased in this year's presidential report. Check out the work that Suez are doing. Check out the work that Veolia and Biffa and others are doing now. When I started in the sector, I worked on a small charity scheme which worked with less abled people, uh, funded in a really modest way, tucked away in a shed at the back of a, an industrial estate, refurbishing furniture, offering skills and development opportunities to some of the underserved groups in society. That stuff is now Main Street. The, the brilliant work of Suez, Veolia and others in terms of their reuse hubs that are competing and presenting themselves almost on the same level of aspiration to get people you know, to come and reuse their goods and use that as a large retail center would. That's brilliant progress, and we can see more of that. And the real key to this is the stuff like that, the stuff that can be delivered through the current resources and waste strategies of England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, has clear social and economic benefits. And governments of any color can see that. And to keep the direction of travel going that we've got, to implement the stuff that DEFRA are working hard on, and all power to their elbow to carry on setting it all up and making it happen, that's how we're going to see progress. Wonderful. They're two amazingly key, important takeaways. And uh, you know, just to kind of sum it up, really, how we make more money from selling less stuff than selling greater value, massive challenge. How we attract and retain incredible talent within the industry, because they could go and work anywhere. We want them to work for us, because that's this is where the rubber hits the road. And how we grow... I guess citizen consumer happiness, and we disassociate it from the acquisition of things. These are the really key challenges that we face, and this is what this podcast series is all about. I, I cannot thank you enough, Dan Cook, all the way from Cornwall, Adam Reed. I'm guessing somewhere around Banbury, Oxford, north of London, that kind of area, somewhere around there. Close enough. It's close enough. Um, I genuinely love these conversations and I hope that those of you listening were inspired and will join us again. Thank you. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, Orgeon, Suez Recycling and Recovery UK and Indava. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste digital series by going to wellbeyondwaste.ciwm.co.uk and don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on socials to check out more of our podcast collaborations. Mm-hmm.